0: Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Robots Radio presents... You're listening to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast, the best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about d and to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons and Dragons. your listener welcome to the dungeons and dragons lore cast where each and every week we dig and dive and fly into the lore behind the world's most popular tabletop role-playing game i right, look the the fly part was a bit weird i'll admit it but you know dig implies land and dive implies sea and I didn't want you to think that there's any lore out there, you know, drifting in the heavens that was out of our reach. You're going to get all of it, land, sea, and air. Anyway, my name is Sergio, and beyond making ridiculous claims like that, I will also be your lore master during our time together. And what an episode we have planned, we will be covering the yuan the psionic serpent folk who made their first appearance way back in 1981 in the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition Module, Dwellers of the Forbidden City. Yuan-Ti are prevalent in the Forgotten Realms campaign setting, but can be found elsewhere, like in Greyhawk, or even your own homebrew campaign setting. So, where do they come from? What are their collective goals? And would they taste like chicken if cooked? Look, I've had, I've, I've had Rattlesnake. It's, uh, it's a bit gamier than chicken, but honestly, blindfolded, I probably couldn't tell the difference. So, the Yuan Ti, or Vral Olo, as they call themselves, meaning favored one. Uh, as an introduction, let's hear the account recorded in Dragon Magazine, issue 151, from samurai of the Imperial Staff, Hidekito Toshubu, and what he had to say about his interaction with the Serpent Folk. It rose out of the muck before me, in the manner of a huge snake readying its strike. Six or seven feet long, it had the lower body and head of a serpent, green scales, wet and glittering in the dim sunlight, a muddied yellow belly, and red eyes that stared with malevolence. But what choked me with revulsion was the human torso and arms between the snake head and tail. My courage wavered. Then I saw that wrapped tightly around the thing's waist was a belt from which hung the daisho, the katana and the wakizashi in mockery of the status of the samurai. The sight of such a disgrace ripped me from my trance. I drew my grandfather's katana from my hip with a shout. Not even devils themselves could have stopped me then for I would not allow the rank of samurai to be worn by such as this. So this particular Yuan-Ti, was a Malisan or half-blood. There are several sub-races, and their appearance varies depending on which the creature belongs to. And we will cover each of those sub-races, the three major sub-races, and a few lesser known as well, after the middle of the show. But they all exhibit some degree of serpentine features. They are said to have they are they are said to have been descended from humans whose bloodlines have been mingled with those of snakes. This belief stems from uh, one version of the lore, which states that ages ago, a cult of humans worshiping a reptilian elder god received a, quote, blessing from their dark lord. That blessing was each of their offspring was born part snake. Since then, the breeding line has mixed and branched leading to various aforementioned sub-races. In fact, the origins of the yuan date to the dawn of man, when mankind took its first tottering steps. There came among men a monstrous corruption known as shik Therak Past. This demon lord, who once resembled a great black-scaled winged snake, is now a shadow of his former self, driven to both ultimate power and madness in an attempt to become one with the 111th layer of the abyss the layer is now called the mind of evil and is a place where reality itself is so insane almost no life can survive so evil men hungry for power and dominion over their kindred turn to worship this dark force and the result true true to the tenets of chaos and evil was more curse than blessing. These first men were instructed to procure the venom of the Ophidian. Now, the Ophidian are serpent folk who are somewhat similar in appearance to Yuan-Ti, with their snake-like bodies but humanoid appendages. However, they are seen as lesser than by Yuan-Ti society and culture, and are often enslaved or otherwise subjugated by the Yuan-Ti. The venom of the Ophidian, however, causes its victim to slowly transform into one of the creatures. And it is this trait which plays into the creation lore of the Yuan-Ti. When Ophidian venom is distilled and mixed with other ingredients known only to the Yuan-Ti, perhaps ancient and arcane knowledge gained from Shik Therak past, it is then consecrated to this mad deity. It becomes what is known to sages, as the Black Broth. These evil men, worshippers of the mad deity, who first created the Black Broth, were also its first imbibers and were willingly transformed into a new type of creature, the Histachi, also known as Broodgar, who are now, much like the Ophidian, subjugated by the Yuan-Ti. But according to this lore, they're actually the progenitors of the serpent folk. This is because the procreation between two histachi produce one type of subrace, the pure blood. This is the most human-looking of the three, and the offspring of a histachi and a pure blood results in the malazon or half-blood subrace. And the most powerful of the three subraces, the abomination, come about from procreation of any two. Of the true Yuanti, whether it be the pure blood or the Malazan half blood, a little bit complicated. But the crux of the matter is, humans, willing or otherwise, are a key element in sustaining the Yuanti race, since humans are the only ones who can become Astachi, and hastachis have a you know crucial are a crucial part of procreation in the Yuanti society. Now that's one version of the creation myth of the Yuanti. The second is that of the Forgotten Realm is that of the Forgotten Realm campaign and by and large is considered to be the quote unquote canon lore. Now this version definitely plays more into the idea that Yuan-Ti are highly intelligent, cunning opponents who are just as likely to destroy an opponent through political machinations as they are military might. Sages believe that before the coming of dragons much of Faerun's dry land was dominated by creatures some human called thunderers. These were lizards ranging in size from a few inches to as big as a nautiloid space, a space jammer. Uh, amid these creatures, some sentient lizards and snakes developed societies, mastered magic, and even built empires. One such race were the lizard people known as Saruk or sauroids. In this ancient time, they grew to become the dominant race of Faerun. Through their superior intellect and tactical sense, they forged empires, vast realms wherein they enslaved, bred, and experimented upon other creatures. Eventually, however, the empires of the Saruk met the inevitable fate of all empires. They slipped into decadence, and were ultimately swept away by foes from within and without. Enemy forces attacked and crushed the Saruks' forces, many of whom were yuan This bloodbath caused the yuan to turn against their creators. The dumbfounded Saruk then fled, hid, and sank into hibernation or otherwise perished. While Saruk still do exist, their dominance of the world has fell out of memory by just about everyone a tale as old as time. The creations of the Saruk, however, still flourish in Feyrun. one of the most notable being the Yuan-Ti. The first of them were the results of controlled breeding experiments that melded early humans with serpents and Saruk. This similar process is also how Nagas were created, another type of serpent folk. Altered and augmented by Saruk magic, yuan became the most powerful and successful of the, quote, created, scaled races. When the Saruk fell from power, the resourceful yuan were able to fill the void left by the creators and began building a society of their own. Uh, one of the main characteristics of this new society was worship of Mershalk, the most powerful aspect of the world serpent. The primal spirit, which rose the Saruk from savagery to civility and art and magic. Uh, Mershalk eventually entered a period of hibernation, however, and failed to consistently answer the prayers of his priests. He was eventually awakened by a Saruk before being reborn as the deity Seth. All Yuan T must act in accordance with the sacred way of Seth, that is, in a subtle manner. Whenever possible, yuan choose manipulation over open confrontation, the whisper over the fang. Followers of the sacred way of Seth know their foes, think ahead, and plan forward. However, while Saruk are now a rarity, they still exist, and increasing numbers of yuan have felt the call of the awakened Saruk and trembled at what it might mean. The first unsettling revelation was that the yuan cannot resist the call. They are inexorably drawn to the Saruk. The second was the discovery Saruk can still alter yuan bodies at will. Specifically, they can slay a yuan merely by changing them into a creature that can't breathe air. Thus, they can easily coerce one of their former servants into undertaking just about any task. Regardless of the consequences to their life, to their social standing, or to the race as a whole. The third and most devastating revelation was that the Yuan still want to serve the Saruk on a level far deeper than their conscious minds. The fawning and genuflecting that most Yuan find themselves performing in the presence of their old masters is far more than save one scales play acting. It is the unfailing devotion of a servant to a master. So now that we have an idea or two of where the yuan came from, uh, how do they live? What does yuan society look like? Well, obviously, they revere and hold all reptiles in high esteem. That shouldn't come as any surprise. Uh, nor would the fact that they prefer to make their dwellings far away from man or typical society. Even without their reputations of usually being chaotic evil, I can't imagine the average person, be they human or dwarf or halfling, seeing a Yuan-Ti abomination and not just like freaking out. So remote ruins in jungles are usually where they can be found but yuan are also known to build underneath human cities. In all cases, however, they are secretive about the location of their city or temple, the latter of which is truly the center of yuan life. These temples are usually huge with no windows and but a single entrance. The walls are carved with revolting scenes involving yuan humans and other unspeakable creatures from the outer plains yuan have no holy days or festivals, except for one which corresponds to the first creation myth that we covered. The Night of Venom occurs only once every 1000 years, and it coincides with the completion of the Black Broth. Beginning about a year beforehand, the yuan become become increasingly, increasingly active as they raid human villages to kidnap victims and create as much broth as possible. One group of yuan can create between 20 and 200 histachi on the night of venom, and these near-mindless abominations only exist to serve their yuan masters. Their clothing, little more than filthy rags, hang limply over their hairless, emaciated bodies. They have tough, scaled, yellowish-green skin, bloodshot beady eyes, a forked tongue, and smell of rotting meat. The yuan are divided into seven tribes or houses, and one not-so-secret society, uh, the Coiled Cabal. Within these tribes or houses, yuan live in ordered hierarchy groups called households, which are governed by a strict chain of command. And lastly, and this will inform the discussion of sub-races following the middle of the show, when it comes to the hierarchy of Yuan-Ti society, the more snake-like features one possesses, the higher its status is. With that, let's go ahead and take a short break. Welcome to the middle of the show, the most midly part of the episode. Shout out to our old friend Crit with that one. And it's also where we take the opportunity to thank the fine folk of the Patreon, uh, discuss recent Dungeons and Dragons announcements or news, stuff like upcoming miniatures, newly released Unearthed Arcanas, or free content from d and Beyond. It's also when we take a stroll through the DMs Guild, through dmsguild.com, and find some excellent homebrew content that'll take your campaign to the next level. So first and foremost, let's give a shout out to some of our patrons. This week, we want to especially thank our international supporters, Peter M. and Jaco H. It's absolutely incredible and amazing that a D&D podcast uh, based out of Texas can reach the ears of folks in Europe, as well as every other continent on the planet. Still no listeners in Antarctica, however. Come on, penguins, get with it. Think you're too good for some D&D lore? Well, uh, we made it 112 episodes before I tried to pick a fight with a penguin. I'm surprised I made it this long. If you want to be better than a penguin and join the ranks of the fine folk of Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash D&D Lorecast, where we have four tiers ranging from 5 bucks to $75. You can get everything from early ad-free episodes to stickers, to D&D lore cast merch like shirts and personalized mugs, to having uh, yours truly DM a one-shot adventure for you and your party, or I can also make a guest appearance in your personal campaign. A lot of cool benefits. We definitely built it in mind with perks we felt would, one, entice folks to sign up, and two, make it worth their financial while, so to speak. The funds go right back into the show, helping us make it bigger and better. Uh, we just wrapped up a and D rulebook raffle, which raised over three hundred dollars for the Critical Role Foundation, and we're currently in the planning stages of compiling every magic item of the week thus far, arranging them in the traditional D and D book format for release on DM's Guild, uh, and plus so much more. There's there's a lot of stuff that we've got uh, that we've got planned down the pipe. Uh, year three of the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast promises to be the best yet, and of course, if you are not in a position to sign up for the Patreon, but still want to support the show, you absolutely can in several important ways, like leaving five star reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That helps. I mean, just uh, that helps a ton, like more than we more than you know. Uh, as does interacting with us on Twitter at D and D Lorecast. Um, as well as just regular old-fashioned word of mouth, mentioning the show to someone you feel might enjoy it is one of the best ways you can support the show. Uh, moving on to news, we're getting Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel, a new 13 adventure anthology next week, and we will, of course, be covering it, giving our thoughts and impressions on it, but Wizards is already preparing D&D fans for next month's release. Spelljammer Adventures in Space releases August 16th and right now for free on D&D Beyond you can snag Spelljammer Academy Orientation, the first of four adventures that prepare characters for Wild Space uh, and it takes them through from level one through level five. Once they've completed their academy training, they'll be ready for Light of the Tsarexas, the adventure included in next month's set. The next three installments will release weekly, all leading up to the release of Spelljammer next month. Speaking of Spelljammer, we here at the d and Lorecast are excited as all get out about its release, about it's making its debut in 5th edition, and we are just as excited about an event being put together by several friends of the show. The event is called JammerCon and will be taking place on August 20th and will include an entire day's worth of games, ranging from the advanced Dungeons & Dragons rule set to the brand new 5th edition version, as well as prize giveaways, uh, discussion panels, and a ton more. The event is being curated by some of the folks behind GaryCon and Greyhawk Reborn and RPG Alliance, and the goal for JammerCon is to organize those who share a common interest in Spelljammer games whether you were there in the beginning, back in 1989, or if you're just now learning what the heck Phlogiston is. JammerCon hopes to appeal to everyone interested in Spelljammer. Uh, If you're interested in taking part, whether it be just attending and catching some of the streamed games, or even uh, playing in one of them, or even running one of them, the link for JammerCon is in the show notes, check it out because it's, it's going to be a blast. You're not going to want to miss it. And finally, let's see what treasure the DM's Guild holds for us this week. Uh, the nominations for the 2022 Any Awards have been announced, and several of the titles nominated are available for purchase on DM's Guild. Uh, one of the several adventures listed is Two Hearts Apart. Your friend is kidnapped on their wedding day. Can you save them? Nominated for Best Organized Play, Two Hearts Apart is a four-hour adventure with a balanced mix of combat, exploration, and social interaction slash role-play opportunities. I actually missed my chance to play this um, at Gen Con next month. It uh, sold out before I was able to sign up for it. And um, uh, our old friend, Lupus Malum, was able to get a, get a seat at the table, and I am infinitely jealous about it because I want to play this very badly. It looks great. Uh, there's also the Archvillain Archive, uh, appropriately nominated for Best Monster slash Adversary Sourcebook, and nearly 30 original archvillains, each ready to become the next big bad of your next campaign, 36 new items, several new spells, it's over 100 pages of amazing, beautiful content, and I mean, half the fun is of new D&D books is the amazing art, right? It looks great. And speaking of amazing art, Uncaged Goddesses is nominated for Best Cover Art, Best Interior Art, as well as Best Adventure and just Best Overall Product. This 297-page book contains 21 Tier 4 adventures, adventures, that being level 17 and up, each featuring a different evil or neutral-aligned goddess from Dungeons & Dragons. Included our stat blocks for the goddesses, as well as some of their avatars, adventure maps, some pre-generated characters. So you can just immediately jump into any of the adventures, plus so much more. And of course, we would be remiss without shouting out our friends over at Hedra Group, Jake Kerzer, Adam Seitz, and Evangeline Gallagher, whose incredible One Night Strahd was nominated for Best Electronic Book. We sat down with Adam a few months back to discuss the game, its origins, uh, their motivation for wanting to remix the Curse of Strahd campaign, and much more. Uh, Check it out. You can find it on the feed in between episodes 97 and 98. And then you can head on over to DMs Guild and pick yourself up a copy of One Night Strahd or any of the other nominated content. You can find a link to all of them in the show notes. I promise you, you won't regret it. That being said, dear listener, let's go ahead and return to the show. Ah! Welcome back as we wrap up our discussion on the UNT. We've covered the lore surrounding their creation, as well as some of the details of their society, how it's organized, how it operates. Now let's dive into some of the different subraces of the Yuan-Ti. There are at least three main or at least more prevalent types, and a few others which are a bit more rare. We'll we'll cover those first. Let's start with the tainted ones. Members of this subrace are human agents of the Yuan-Ti who have willingly undergone the ritualistic transformation to become one of the serpent folk. They gain a small bit of the serpent folk psionic ability, as well as a venomous bite. These creatures appear just as they did prior to their infection, but while their bodies do not show physical signs of their tainted blood, their personalities and mannerisms do. They often develop habits such as frequently licking their lips, drying out their sibilants, or keeping large serpents as pets. Tainted ones serve the Yuan as agents who can pass unnoticed among other races uh, and allow them to infiltrate where even a pureblood Yuan ti might risk discovery. Which leads us to the aforementioned Broodguard, also known as Histachi. Uh, they we discussed their appearance earlier, but basically, whereas tainted ones are the successful result of the ritual of transformation, the broodguard are the failures. And only exist as, honestly, foot soldiers, guards, the meat shield of yuan society. There is even a lesser-known subrace known as the Ignan, who share the same status in yuan society as the brood guard. The Ignan sports three sharp horns from its head, and its tail is split in two, but they are simple, brutish fighters. When yuan prefer a blatant display of pure force they employ the Ignan. The next subrace is the Holy Guardians, a rare kind of yuan bred to guard temples and altars dedicated to their deity, whether it be Seth or Mershalk. Unless ordered to do something else by a yuan cleric of the serpent god, Holy Guardians defend the sacred places and property placed in their trust with alert diligence and dedication to death, to the death, if necessary. Physically, they closely resemble a Malazan or Half-Blood with its serpent head, human arms, and serpent body and tail, and are trained from hatching to obey clerics of Seth first, and then family or tribal elders second. You might wonder why the separation between these and broodguard or Histachi uh, if they both essentially act as guards, more or less. Well, whereas brood guards usually are in places are are placed in charge of guarding egg broods or other demeaning tasks, you know. Take note that holy guardians are placed in charge of temples, the center of Yuan-Ti society. You now, brood guard are they're Paul Blart, mall cop, and holy guardian is they're they're John Wick. Uh, the next sub race are mage slayers. Mage Slayers were bred by certain yuan elders concerned about the rising magical vigor of humans. Believing the Vral-Olo needed their own spellcasters to effectively fight the menace, stemming from powerful wielders of the arcane arts. Uh, as such, they produced a kind of Yuan-Ti with innate special ability. Much like the Holy Guardian, Mage Slayers resemble Malazan yuan But this subrace is specifically trained for spell battles by the Coiled Cabal, the secret society of Yuan-Ti wizards. This group teaches that a mage slayer life lost is a, quote, wound felt by all Varel Olo, a waste that weakens the race and must therefore be avoided. A valiant hero is a human fool, they say, and thus a mage slayer saves its own scales first, fleeing to fight another day. There's another subrace that we're going to cover, but we're going to save them for last because they are truly the most powerful yet fearsome and loathsome of the UNT. Uh, so, what of the three most common subraces? Well, let's begin toward the bottom of the UNT caste system and work our way up. As such, let's talk purebloods. Pure bloods form the lowest caste of UNT society. They most closely resemble humans of the three, yet a pureblood can't pass for human under close scrutiny, because there's always some hint of its true nature, such as scaly patches of skin, uh, serpentine eyes, pointed teeth, or a forked tongue. However, when wearing cloaks and cowls, they can masquerade as humans and infiltrate civilized lands to gather information to kidnap prisoners for interrogation or for sacrifice and trade with anyone who has something that can help them further their many plots. Next up, the yuan T Malazans represents the bulk of yuan society, accounting for at least 90% of a settlement's population. Some Malazans are born with humanoid lower bodies, legs pretty much, uh, while retaining an Ophidian head, Sometimes they will be completely covered in scales or even have snakes for arms, but whether they possess legs or a long serpent tail, Malazans make superb intermediaries between races and often serve as warriors and temple assistants. Additionally, they often work with human cultists who worship and revere the deity known as Zahir, whose unholy symbol is that of a snake wrapped around a skull. And whereas the previous two subraces had varying degrees of humanoid characteristics, the abominations are almost completely snake-like. Monstrous serpents with burly humanoid torsos and arms, abominations form the highest caste of Yuan-Ti society, and they most closely resemble the race as the serpent gods intended it. Yuan-Ti abominations are the elite troops and champions of Yuan-Ti society, overcoming threats that Yuan-Ti, Malazans, human cultists, and slaves are unable to defeat. And finally, the anathema. Revered and feared as divine incarnations of their unspeakable deities, these creatures are the most loathsome form of the yuan race. They represent such a perversion of their original human nature that their very existence is heresy against all the deities of humanity, no matter how evil. Thus, they proudly call themselves anathema, a word meaning something that is vehemently hated. A UNT abomination's quest for godhood might lead it to perform a ritual that, if successful, transforms it into the anathema. And this ritual demands not only the sacrifice of hundreds of snakes, but also requires the abomination to bathe in the blood of its enemies. And anathema's basic shape is that of an enormous serpent, sometimes up to 25 feet long, a pair of arms and the vague shape of a humanoid torso are the last vestiges of its original humanity. The arms end in clawed hands with only three fingers and in place of a head, there are six long serpents that project from the top of the torso, allowing the creature to see in all directions and attack as many as eight different opponents at once. Because they brutally subjugate their lessers for their own evil ends, anathemas are extremely rare among the yuan and their society as a whole isn't quite sure what to do with them. Like both the yuan and their enemies like fear anathemas they were at one point regarded as kings among their lesser kindred however they went mad and turned upon their own kind savagely butchering their followers until they were overthrown as a result anathemas within a Yuanti city are kept in subterranean prisons other Yuanti regard them as holy creatures but fear that the anathemas could swarm slay and eat everything if released Living sacrifices are dropped from high temple ziggurats down into anathema dens to placate them lest they grow restless. So otherwise, they're not really found in Yuan-Ti cities as the power they represent is such a destabilizing force that order and structure uh, collapse around them. They are so, so as a result, they are often found in wilderness and usually form a cult of other Yuan-Ti around them. This cult, a cult centered around an anathema is always a plague on the surrounding lands. Uh, no race or any kind of creature can live in peace with such a cult nearby because an anathema's only creed is annihilation in service to the great serpent who the yuan believe will one day devour the world. And that just about wraps it up for the Yuan-Ti. There is a bit more... We didn't have time to cover such as a, a couple more sub races which are found in Volo's Guide to Monsters, as well as more details on the Seven Houses or Tribes of yuan Society plus the Coiled Cabal. And if you're interested in hearing that content, it will be made available exclusively to scholar level patrons and higher over at patreon.com slash Lorecast. We do about two to three of these patron plus installments a month. These are deeper dives into the lore. But before we sign off, let's homebrew ourselves a magic item. What do you say? So this week's magic item, or this episode's magic item of the week, is inspired by the movie They Live. In it, Rowdy Roddy Piper of pro wrestling fame plays a guy who gets his hands on a special pair of sunglasses. Now, these shades allow him to see aliens who are disguised as humans who are plotting to take over the world. So the magic, uh, the the magic item of the week known as Piper eye, they can be bifocals or sunglasses, or even a monocle depending on the fashion inclinations of the player character. Uh, And it allows them to better determine the true intentions of someone else. As such, the character wearing Piper eye rolls at advantage when making insight checks. Furthermore, If the wearer gains knowledge from someone as a result of using Piper Eye and its knowledge that that someone would have not wanted the wearer to know, any subsequent persuasion checks against the wearer are rolled at disadvantage. So a quick example, your player character is wearing Piper Eye and has been hired to find uh, somebody's missing son. You're at a tavern, sort of, you know, getting everything together, you at an inn or a tavern, trying to get everything together before you set off on this, on this mission. Uh, you're talking to the bartender about it and someone is ear hustling and starts asking questions like, Oh, so who is this kid? Well, like how much do you get paid? You can use PiperEye to gain insight on why they're asking these questions. And as a result of using Piper Eye, if you're able to discern that this person their true intentions are to hinder you from finding the missing son. They are going to have, to, if they if they try to persuade you that they're actually trying, trying to help, they have to roll at a disadvantage after that. Thank you so much for listening, for spending time with the Dungeons and Dragons lore cast. We will be back next week with our first look at journeys through the Radiant Citadel, plus a huge announcement links to all the socials, Twitter, Discord merchandise, all of that—they're in the show notes. We truly appreciate each and every one of you supporting the show. Fare thee well, dear listener, and until we meet again, may all your twenties be natural. Thanks for listening to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with a friend, following us on Twitter at dnd or jumping on the Robust Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons and Dragons. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to a Robots Radio Podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.